Welcome to series two of Depollution from Salvage Wire. In this podcast, we interview interesting and inspiring leaders to discuss issues that are facing the vehicle salvage and vehicle recycling industries, along with other leaders who can challenge and inspire the whole industry. In this podcast, we welcome Chris Daglis of Partnered Solutions. Chris has been involved in the automotive recycling industry most of his life and over the last few years has been working on recycled parts certification and vehicle recalls. This conversation should be of interest to all in the automotive repair, recycling and insurance industries. So let's get straight into my conversation with Chris. Chris, welcome to the Depollution podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, talk to us. Can you just introduce yourself, a bit about yourself, your career, who you've worked for, and obviously your current role in the company? Okay, thanks for having me on. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to the broader community of automotive recyclers. Um, so, Chris Douglas, I've been in the automotive recycling industry, uh, well, really, I was born into it to a degree. Um, uh, that uh, ran a, a panel shop in the early days, and then uh, moved into the into the uh, spare parts business. And uh, in 1970, late 78, 79, uh, he made a trip to Japan and was uh, was the first recycler in Australia to start bringing loose parts into Australia. So I was seven or eight at that time, and I suppose I really grew up in that business. So that's uh, that's where it started. Um, obviously, uh, from that point on, I had older brothers and sisters, you know, I'm uh, nine years younger than the next brother, uh, Con, and as a result, I, I sort of grew up around older siblings. Um, so you could say I was a little bit more mature, if you like, than, than most kids, because, you know, everything was at a, at a much different level when I, I got home from school, etc. and I always took a liking to the to the parts business. I certainly spent a lot of my time on, as far as holidays were concerned there. Um, Finished uh, high school, went to university here in Melbourne. Um, it was great to have the opportunity to to study and then finished uh, my studies. And really, uh, I knew I was going to go into the into the recycling business, the family business, um, immediately afterwards. And you know, uh, was part time there during my studies, and then uh, finished university and went straight straight in and yeah, worked through the through the business uh, from sales to management. Um, and uh, and yeah, and then uh, in 2012, um, I was asked to help an insurance company here in Australia, Suncorp, uh, build a really a parts business that would vertically integrate their salvage vehicles back into their repair network. And they owned their own collision repair business at the time, and and then I moved into that, and I was there on contract for about three years, and and then started my own consulting business. Uh, and things have grown since then. Um, in 2015, I started the Chris Douglas Partnered Solutions business, which was purely consulting. I did some aftermarket uh, vehicle test fitting uh, for NSF International at the time. Uh, and one thing led to the other. We've developed a whole heap of products and services since then beyond the consulting work that I do. And that, that's about where we're at at the minute. Mm. Um, yeah, and 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 is the is the family business still still running? Family business still running. My two brothers and sister run that business here in Melbourne, literally about ten minutes from my home. Mm-hmm. Uh, still at the same original location. Uh, yeah, so they're they're still doing what they're doing, what they've been doing in that in the past business. Absolutely. Yeah, 
Okay. And Partnered Solutions has got a number of, uh, of, of different um, parts to it, different constituent uh, uh, companies within that banner. What, what are the are the different different parts of the company? What are the different uh, solutions that you've got there? Yeah, I have to say it's it's evolved, and mm. as we see different needs in the in the recycling industry, we look at whether there is a solution to those needs and whether we can help with that solution. Mm. So it really has evolved over the past five years. As I said, we started off from a consultant mm. perspective. Um, there was a gap. Um, in the market or a need in the market um, for some kind of mechanisms through which automotive recyclers are able to identify automotive recalls so that they can remove those products from, from market, from, from selling them. Um, and obviously, one thing led to the other there, and we had the, the big Takata recall here in Australia, which was a mandatory recall mm -hmm. um, forced upon the vehicle manufacturers by the government. So we needed a solution, and and we've uh, we've been lucky enough to be able to sort of think laterally enough to to build something there that has worked for both the automotive recycling industry and the vehicle manufacturing industry. And now we we're really in a position where we're we're growing that opportunity beyond just the Carter airbags. We now help recyclers identify at the point of checking a vehicle into their yard management system uh, whether there are any recalls on that vehicle or not. Um, and we're also working at the other end with vehicle manufacturers and helping them with the, what they call a completion rate on recalls. Yeah. Um, so we have a lot of vehicle manufacturers that you know will let us know of a recall when it happens, and um, we, we try and help them identify how many of those are sitting in the automotive recycling industry and, and what the status of those specific parts on those recall vehicles are. Mm -hmm. So we work closely with the vehicle manufacturers as well. It's, it's sort of a nice environment to work yeah. in. Um, obviously, that's the recalls piece. Then, since you know, since then, we've developed a number of other things, such as the uh, exact bids, uh, which is a, a service we offer the industry uh, to help them find the best possible salvage vehicles for their business and create bids on those salvage vehicles using the data out of their system. Mm -hmm. uh, we collaborate very closely with auction houses and also um, bid buddy solutions out of the US, uh, which is the bidding system used there. Um, exact bids saw a need as well for mm -hmm. the exact stats uh, opportunity there, the business there. And what we do there is we look at the data and, and identify the different segments within the, um, an individual business's uh, recycling yards um, sales and demand. And we then set the right um, called settings you know we weight the settings accordingly in their bid buddy system so it really is a, a scientific approach to buying and we work very closely with uh, the automotive recyclers mm. to, to help them with that as well amazing amazing and there's a few other things as well on the game. yeah yeah and 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 you know you, you just mentioned bid buddy so you obviously obviously this is not just a, a an australian based um uh, solution this is yeah how many countries are you now working in in fact, yes, so we work very closely with BigBuddy. Um, we are currently working in New Zealand, Australia, and the US. Uh, we're growing very, very rapidly in the US with the exact bids and exact stats uh, suite of products. We'll soon have a product called Exact Measure, 
um, which will work very closely again with the each facility. And you can take the recyclers can take these things in modules. They don't have to take all of them together. They can take sections of them. Uh, certainly, they work hand in glove, and you know often you know using all three together will be better than one in isolation. But other times, you know, businesses don't need all three; they may only need sections of it. Mm. So we we work with those mm. those businesses. But yes, so we're expanding very rapidly in the US. Obviously, Chad Councilman's headed back to the US. He's back yeah. in um, South Carolina now, and um, Chad was working with me here for seven months, but because of COVID, couldn't get mm. uh, Rachel, his wife, in. So we made a decision that you know he he heads back and um, reunites with his family. Um, and then we looked at that and said, okay, what are the opportunities in the US? And, and certainly we've been, without very much really advertising at all, we've been growing very rapidly over there and we've probably got about six weeks worth of work um, ahead of us over the next, you know, between now and the middle of February. So Fantastic. That's it's going amazing. very well. Good, good. And, and obviously the, the recall work that you do, uh, that is also global as well. Well, I wouldn't say global. Certainly, it's Australia and the UK at this stage. Uh, mm-hmm. We're potentially looking at something in the US at the minute um, that would be very exciting. But, you know, we're growing very rapidly in the UK, um, supported by the VRA. We've worked very closely with Chaz Ambrose and the VRA there, uh, worked very closely with a number of automotive recyclers, and we're certainly uh, pushing aggressively there. It's It's been quite good. You know, we've had to sort of uh, work through the ch- the differences in databases in mm-hmm. in the UK versus Australia, for example. Um, but look, you know, we've been able to work through some of those challenges and understand that market. It is different, mm-hmm. right? and in as much as the system is quite similar, uh, technically, uh, there are differences in the way recalls are handled over there. And I often use the you know the term that we. Uh, the automotive recycling industry is somewhat of an afterthought yeah. um, when it comes to regulators or vehicle manufacturers and recalls. Uh, we often think of a recall being relevant only to vehicles that are currently registered and driving around. We forget about the fact that the vehicle that has been in an accident and has been written off, um, which has then been purchased by an automotive recycler, has parts harvested off it and then resold into the market. Now those parts are often recalled parts and they're dangerous. So what we're doing is we're identifying those loopholes and really our systems and processes are helping recyclers uh, keep their customers safe, but also keep themselves safe as well. I mean, from litigation and anything going wrong, but certainly public safety is a core focus for us. And obviously, recalls have been a huge issue for the automotive industry in the last few years. And you know, do you think that vehicle manufacturers are letting design and build standards slip? Or, or is this just an, an unforeseen situation brought about by a small number of, of large recalls? Look, it's tough for me to comment on whether manufacturers are letting mm. you know, design or, or production standards slip. Certainly, I wouldn't be in a position to sort of you know, talk about that. But what we're seeing is a combination of some very large recalls, such as the Takata recall, and, and some others, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we're seeing the advent of the very swift change in technologies in the, in, in the vehicles. Right. So I remember, you know, even only 10 years ago, you would see a change between a series one to a series two of a particular shape vehicle. Uh, the change would be quite cosmetic. 
okay, you the different headlights, different bumper bar, different grill. Often the, the wings and the bonnets would be the same, the doors are the same, then the, your taillights would change a little bit and so on. And some slight changes to some mechanical components. Now, you know, within 12 months, two years, the, the car is just about a totally different vehicle. Mm. And, and a lot of it is driven through software mm. and technology. So as a result of that, um, we're seeing uh, that, in my view, and the discussions I've had with different people in, in the industry and vehicle manufacturing industries, that it's a big challenge for vehicle manufacturers to uh, maintain a level of, not quality, but standard with new technologies that are, that are not really tested over the long, long haul yet. Mm-hmm. They'll get better at it, and there's no doubt about that. And look, the other thing is that, you know, technology has also made recalls more accessible. So even what we've done with all auto recalls, we make we put recalls in front of people these days. Mm. Ten years ago, well, three years ago, an automotive recycler would need to dig and find this nail in a haystack to see whether that VIN number that they're currently working on has a recall on. Mm. Well, now we present it to them on a plate, mm-hmm. um, which is great, but it exposes the recall and it makes it clear to them it's there in front of them. They can't hide behind it anymore or we can't hide from them. So there's a number of things there, Andy, I think is probably technology and vehicles, technology making information available. It's like social media. Mm -hmm. You can't hide behind things Mm -hmm. anymore, can you? Mm -hmm. I mean, ultimately, you know, know, 30 years ago, it was all about newspapers, then television news. And really what we've got now is, you know, reporters are to a degree less relevant because it's reported on by the the social network. And uh, everyone can see it very, very quickly. Yeah. And, and of course, you mentioned that um, you know, there's some quite different rules from between Australia and the UK. Uh, and given that automotive manufacturers are building global products, do you think there's a need for global recall standards and databases rather than you know, national or, or, or even regional standards? Look, it would make sense. Um, what's not safe in one region is not safe in another region. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It doesn't change because you're in the UK and I'm in Australia and you know we say it's dangerous over here. Well, what's the definition of dangerous? Yeah. So again, this is a, a big change. It's a big change to the global economy, right? It's, yes, they're producing global vehicles. The Ford mm. Focus is the same in the UK as it is here, generally speaking, right? They're even right-hand drive. Yeah. So a Ford Focus recall over there is probably going to have the same issue over here, nine, mm. nine times out of 10. Mm. Uh, Volvo. Mercedes, BMW, we get very, very similar, if not the same models. Mm-hmm. So, yes, um, is there a need for a global recall um, standard? Yes, I think there is a need for something like that. Is it easy to do? No, it's not easy to do because you need to bring a whole heap of different stakeholders together mm-hmm. to agree on that, including regulators, right? Mm-hmm. Because what the Australian regulators, what we call the ACCC here, the Australian Consumer and Competition, whatever the commission, mm-hmm. um, you know they they may have certain standards that are different to those in the UK. Yeah. So, yeah, but I think uh, from a vehicle manufacturer perspective, if there's something recalled here and it's the same product used there, then uh, my view is that it's unsafe. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we, we need to be recalling this. Mm-hmm. Amazing, amazing, and. Obviously, I mean, you know, you've worked very, very closely with the UK over the last uh, couple of years with the the vehicle recyclers, the insurers, and eBay, um, and you've yeah. you've you know, and and part of the work you've done is to make 
recycled or reclaimed parts are, are, are a hot topic again and and you know and, and a true desire to make it work and you're you're working with all of these people all of these uh, different stakeholders to adjust to the use of reclaimed parts in vehicle rep um, vehicle repair but what are you, you know, you know, can you outline what you've done with the UK for um, the, the recycled parts and, 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 and what you've been able to put, put in, into place for that? Yeah, look, uh, it's, you know, we were having lunch yesterday with some people over at our house and uh, known these people for a very long time. And, and the, the wife said to me, you know, Chris, so tell me exactly what you do um, and, and the work that you're doing in a, from a consultative perspective, you know, what are you doing? I gave the example of the UK and the work mm -hmm. I'm doing with eBay and um, the uh, insurance companies mm -hmm. over there and so on. It's not one thing that has to change in isolation. Now, a, a collision repairer would say, I'd love to use your parts, but automotive recyclers, you know, standards are an issue, quality is an issue, delivery is an issue. Packaging is an issue. There's a whole heap of different things that are challenges. So, and that, you know, they're not wrong. It's not as if they're, they're wrong about all of those things. Yeah, okay, we, we can probably sit there and say, but hold on, there's some issues at the other end as well, and that's true too. Um, but the reality is that in and of itself, the industry has some challenges it needs to work on, okay? Mm -hmm. So uh, on the flip side, recyclers would say, yeah, but, auto, you know, collision repairers don't want to use our parts. Insurers say, well, we'd love to use the parts, but we need a an arm's length relationship with a certified group of sellers selling products to a certified group of buyers, that is our collision repair networks, so that they can fit product onto our vehicles so they can, you know, reinstate a damaged vehicle to its pre-accident condition or better in a safe and efficient and, you know, timely fashion. Mm. Um, so there's you know it's quite a labyrinth once you start thinking about how this whole industry fits together and um, I suppose the work that I've done is because I've done a lot of work with insurers and I've worked in an insurance environment before um, both as a supplier um, in a quite you know uh, I've built a supply chain model for the largest insurer here in Australia between 03 and 2010 mm -hmm. Insurance Australia Group so we had a very, very tight supply chain model that we put in place. Um, so I sort of worked with them in that context. But then I worked also for the Suncorp Insurance Group, uh, where we built a parts capability from that vertical integration model. Um, so understanding how insurers, collision repairers, and automotive recyclers work is critical to that whole equation. Mm -hmm. And I think what I've been able to do is work with the three parties plus eBay, and I have to say driven by eBay, to be honest mm. with you, um, to find solutions, you know, and, and really deal with the issues that each party has mm -hmm. and then bringing a strategy together so that we can agree on a strategic path and then a execution strategy, you know, mm. because the strategy in and of itself is to a degree irrelevant if you can't execute. Hmm. Um, and you always have teething problems during execution. That's why you need very, very strong partners yeah. um, that uh, are in it for the long haul and want to make this succeed. So that's that's what I think I've been able to do in the UK, and and hopefully we can keep on driving that forward for a few years to come. Brilliant, brilliant. And do you see this um, 
this this solution having potential in other parts of the world and you know where where do you think the next country will be that will adopt similar um, standards look standard wise i mean if we're talking about certification for the is that what you mean Andrew? certification yeah, from, yeah, from yeah. The recycling yeah yeah so from a certification perspective you know <clears throat> that's i would say that's probably a and if there's some Americans listening to, to this mm. call, um, they'll probably scratch the head if I said that we now currently, as we speak, have 41 certified recyclers in the UK. It's yeah. astounding. Yeah. It's actually a huge success. Um, to think I was there in February 2019 and you were mm. at that meeting mm. at eBay in, the, mm. in, um, in Richmond there in, in London. And uh, we were talking about building the protocol building you know the the criteria and that's what we spent two days workshopping uh, you know nearly two years down the track uh, after a couple of little hurdles that we had to you know jump over we're in a position where we've got a certification program that's been um, approved we have two independent certification bodies that are doing the audits we currently have over 170 recyclers that have applied to become certified in the uk and we have 41, if not more than that, because I haven't had an update for about three days, mm -hmm. 41 recyclers that have been certified to these standards. And the standards are far superior than any other set of standards anywhere in the world, either today or yesterday. Yeah. That is, you know, NSF was in the game some time ago. These are more stringent than the NSF standards. Mm -hmm. Quite extraordinary. Mm -hmm. um, so in the context of certification, um, will it happen elsewhere? 100% it will happen. Um, but there needs to be a catalyst for change. What yeah. is it that will drive that next step? Mm -hmm. um, and I think the, the big thing in the UK has been uh, the, the role that eBay UK has played yeah. to you know, um, support the automotive recycling industry. And again, uh, for you know, full transparency, yes, I, I do work for eBay in a consultative manner there but they have been extraordinarily supportive of the whole uh, strategy, uh, both in time, in effort, but also in investment. They've invested so heavily um, with the uh, recyclers and supported the recyclers through this. Uh, I have to say, hats off to them. Mm. Mm. Well, they, they have done an amazing job. They've been very, very good. And, you know, and, and as you say, having been part of that early workshop, um, the support they gave for a number of, yeah, for a considerable number of, of, of months now has been has been amazing they've been the, the, yeah and it's not just their, their support they've also put their money in, into it as well absolutely you know uh, to be honest it's it's uh it's quite an achievement I'm, I'm quite yeah. proud of the fact that mm. i've been involved in that and and worked with ebay um to actually bring this to the industry mm. i think it's critical for the industry and insurers you know the, the amount of time and effort that we ebay and myself have put into working with insurers to promote you know the reclaimed original part the green part mm. whatever you want to call it to the insurance collision repair industry mm. you know uh, we couldn't count in hours it, it, you have to count it in weeks or if not months <laughs> yes. so the you know the industry um as i said hats off to ebay they've invested heavily in it and uh, you know, obviously they want to they want to see a return on that, and hopefully they'll they'll see a long term return in that. But uh, certainly they're supporting the automotive recycling industry beyond 
expectation. Amazing, amazing, really, really good. And yeah, and, and obviously you, you've got a justifiable right to feel very proud uh, of, of, of what you've been able to achieve. Um, increased levels of technology in vehicles and obviously the complexity of vehicle design and construction is obviously yeah. changing how vehicles are recycled uh, and forcing technicians to gain knowledge, expertise and qualifications. Do you see a future where technicians in vehicle recycling centres and dismantlers will will need to be licensed by law? Do, do you see that as a future? Yeah, I see an automotive recycling traineeship slash apprenticeship being something that will be required. Yeah, um, you know, we demanufacture vehicles. Automotive recyclers demanufacture vehicles. Mm -hmm. So let's just think about that for a second. It's it's not just about ripping things off anymore. And if, if the industry is to take the next step and embrace technology and embrace the opportunity technologies bring, not only sit there and complain about the challenges it brings, but to actually embrace the opportunities it brings, it's going to have to take the next step. There are some very, very progressive automotive recyclers, as you know, Andy, mm. in the UK, mm. and I take my hats off to them. They are, I've said it, I'll say it again, some of the best recycling yards in the world are sitting in the UK, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, I won't go naming them because I don't want to sort of, you know, push one against the other, but <laughs> really, and, and I say best not only in, in size, in quality, in process, in systems, in racking, in storage, in, in investment, okay? Not many people invest the way the uh, English automotive recyclers invest. And again, for the Australians, New Zealanders, or whoever's listening to this podcast, uh, anyone from the US, if you're interested in looking at some top-notch automotive recycling facilities, let us know because there are some beauties that you've got to go and visit in the UK. So investing in our people is going to be, uh, I think, one of the most important investments we make. Um, and uh, certainly I, I see... In the future, I see that automotive recyclers are going to need trained technicians that demanufacture vehicles. We're going to need to have uh, processes and systems in place through which we or which we use to to handle product. You know, you've got a lot to do with electric mm. battery, you know, batteries and you know, high voltage batteries and and the way they're processed. Well, there, sh there should be a standard for that. Yeah. I mean, the fact that it's voluntary, in my view, is it's criminal. Mm. Sorry to say that, but that's the reality. I think there needs to be, before someone gets killed, there needs to be some kind of, not regulation, but a standard mm. that if you want to buy an electric vehicle, you should show that you are able to process those electric vehicles, to mm. handle and process them, yeah. and to be able to handle and process the products you remove from those vehicles. Mm. So, yeah, I think the time is here. And, mm. uh, you know, the more training and the, the better structures in place, then, uh, you know, that, that's where we need to go. Yeah. And as an industry, we need to take the next step. There's no yeah. doubt about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and leading on from that a little bit is obviously, I mean, you know, you, you yourself, you've held a number of different positions across your working life. You've done a number of different roles and you've obviously not sat back and rested on your successes. What drives you to continuously move forward and grow your knowledge and your skills and your influence? That's a tough one. Uh, I don't really think about it and say I'm going to do X, Y, Z because I, you know what I mean. It's, it's mm. sort of 
I suppose part of that, Andy, comes comes from who you are. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I suppose I'm I'm built that way. I'm wired yeah. that way. So um, I do want to keep on learning, mm-hmm. um, and I, I do want to work with good people, and I, I want to be able to learn from others as well. Um, I think I do have uh, a fair bit of knowledge that I can impart on, on the industry and, and those that want to learn. I'm not necessarily, I, I may not have the most, uh, what would you call it, conventional sort of approaches to to the way automotive recycling works. That is, I often hear, but that's not how we've done it. And, you know, I sort of have a bit of a chuckle at that and say, well, yeah, I know. Um, but again, yeah, that comes in the same breath when they're saying, we need to do something here to change this. And then you'll say, well, have you thought about doing it? But that's not how we do it. It's like, but hold on. Yeah. Didn't you just say we need to do something? Mm-hmm. So if you're expecting it to change without doing anything differently, then why do you expect it to change? It's not going to change. So I, I constantly challenge myself, I suppose, to to think differently. I, I challenge all the people that work with and for me um, to think and act differently. You know, one of my... One of my pet hates is when I hear, and I even don't want to, don't even want to say it. That's how angry I get when I hear it. It is what it is. And it's like it doesn't even make sense. No, it's like it is what it is. Okay, so what do you want to do about that? Mm. Don't worry about it. Then it's okay for it to be that way. Yeah. How about we start thinking differently and say, mm. what if we did X? What would it look like? Or what did it, what if we did Y? What would it look like? Mm. So. That's the type of thinking and approach I like to take to things. Um, And then I suppose I am somewhat entrepreneurial in the way I think and act. And therefore, you know, I'd be talking to someone and, you know, someone will say something and I I think opportunistically. I had a manager at at Suncorp Insurance at the time. Um, It was one of the assessing people there. We were in a meeting and, and he said, geez, you're always thinking about opportunities, aren't you? And I didn't really think too much about it. But when, when I sat down and had a bit of think about it, I thought, yeah, I do. And there's nothing wrong with that. Not <laughs> you know what I mean? Not, not it's like it's, it's, it is about the opportunity and it is about sort of, you know, digging that out mm. and seeing mm. how you can help provide an efficient solution, an effective solution to the industry. And if we can do that, I mean, if you look at all of our products, that's what we try and do with our products and services that we offer. We try and provide solutions to the industry that will help them do their job better, quicker, more profitably, and you know, ultimately deliver a better product and service to their customer, but you know, the consumer. Yeah, and and obviously, you know, you know, I mean, looking forward, you 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 know, can you outline sort of future opportunities for the vehicle recycling centre, you know, sector globally, and and what partner solutions group can can do to help and facilitate those opportunities. And you know, if your crystal ball is working, um, you know, what do you think the sector will look like in two, five, or ten years' time? That's five questions in one there, Andy. You're killing me. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so um, let's go with the last one. Um, what is it going to look like in five or ten? Two years? Mm. Probably similar to today. Yeah. But I think certification will have taken a hold, certainly in the UK, but I think people will see the results of it and start thinking about it in different regions. 
independent certification. I'm not talking about industry self-certification. I'm talking about independent, proper certification, um, externally managed, that uh, will enable insurers, collision repairers, mechanical businesses to, to say that if I want to buy a quality, safe, warranted, uh, legal re, uh, uh, re- reclaimed part, I need to use one of these suppliers. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I see that taking a hold more globally. You know, it'll, yeah. it'll start making noise in other parts of the world uh, and possibly even, you know, uh, people will embrace it. Mm. Um, five years, I see, uh, you know, westernized countries such as the US, New Zealand, Australia, uh, obviously UK. I see a, a certification standard in place. I see insurers um, really taking a really active role mm-hmm. uh, in embracing reclaimed parts. It's not just about saying I want to use it. In five years' time, I see them saying, okay, we know we need to do something, and we now know that we as an insurance company also need to do something differently and not expect the recycler just to deliver the result. Now, often, because of my work with insurance companies, certain executive-level people in an insurance company say, what are the recyclers going to do for me? Mm. And I'll sit back and I'll say, well, here's the thing. They can't do anything for you unless you want to do something for yourself as well. So what does that mean? It means we need to partner. It means that we need to co-create the solution. The solution doesn't exist today. I can tell you what it looks like in five years' time, but it's not there today. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done within the automotive recycling sector, the collision repair sector, but also, Mr. Insurer, within your business. Mm. Product disclosure statement, harmonization. Do you allow reclaimed parts? Do you not allow reclaimed parts? Which brands of yours allow reclaimed parts? You know, you're assessing an engineering team. Do they understand reclaimed parts? Do they understand the markup strategies? Are there a markup strategies on reclaimed parts? Because let's face it, you need to incentivize the repairer to use this product because it's not like using a new part. can be as good as using a new part, if not better. But there are a number of things that need to happen yeah. there. Yeah. So um, I see that, you know, in that period, in that five-year period, certainly insurers will be a lot more engaged because they will realize that the the key lever that they have to influence a better result in their you know, average repair cost, if you like, which is growing year on year, um, is parts. Parts make up 45 to 50% of a repair mm. in dollars. Mm. Mm. So that's the biggest chunk that you can have a go at. Yeah. Um, and the beauty here is the work that I've done with insurers has shown very clearly that not only can an insurer save millions and millions and millions of pounds in your case, or dollars mm. in Australia and New Zealand and the UK and the US case, um, by using more reclaimed parts, um, repairers can make more money by using more reclaimed parts if we take a different approach to our markup strategies. And this is where the beauty is. We can. And we can pay more to the repairer. It's hard for an insurer to get this. Um, but I'm, what I say to insurers, imagine if you could give the repairer more money to use parts and you save so much on every single job. Mm. You can save $100 per repair. Imagine if you could do that. And they sort of scratch their head saying, what do you mean? How can I pay them more and save money? So so I said, that's a five-year deal. 10 years, that's going to be in place. We will not be an afterthought when it comes yeah. to parts. Reclaim parts will be uh, a priority. 
um, to repairing vehicles. I see green parts insurance policies being made available. Mm-hmm. That is, you know, insurers will be selling uh, certified green, environmentally friendly policies. Yeah. Right? Um, I will. I see that, uh, for example, their, you know, their salvage that they total loss uh, and they sell at auction today, for example. Mm-hmm. I see those going directly to partnered recyclers that they work closely with to vertically integrate harvested parts from the yeah. donor vehicles into recipient vehicles that are sitting in their collision repair facilities. I see full traceability of part from cradle to grave. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I see uh, certified electric vehicle recycling facilities yes. because they will need to be certified to handle these vehicles. They'll be the only ones that can get these vehicles. Mm-hmm. Geez, I see a lot of stuff happening in 10 years, uh, Andy. I, I, I'm actually quite excited about mm-hmm. the, the in, next in, 10 years. In, indeed. Uh, yeah, I think we're both going to be fairly busy for the next 10 years. Touch wood. i'm i'm not complaining i'm not complaining yeah Uh, and and you know obviously you know we can you know you know partnered solutions group can be you know can be can be part of that of that whole solution but of that whole um sort of tenure uh uh, sort of the um solution for for this for the green policies for the independent certification for the the uh the uh, uh, salvage partners and the recycling partners um, who are going to be providing the product. Yeah. We'll, be, we'll be part of Yeah, that. look, I, I think obviously we'd love to be part of that. Mm. Um, why would we be part of it? We'd be part of it if we added value to that whole ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my view is that, and you know, I just spent five minutes talking about two, five and 10 mm. years and what it mm. looks like. Mm. And hopefully it's resonating with the listeners mm. um, to say, hmm, that all makes sense. Um, and listeners, when I say listeners, whether they're automotive recyclers, collision repairers, mm. mechanics, mm. Um, eBay's, or you know, they could be insurance companies, I would hope that they see value in working with with our organisation from a, both a strategic perspective, but also you know operationally. That is, our skill set, my skill set is at you know at in building. Uh, a strategy that works for an insurance company. Mm. Understanding how insurance companies work is critical to that. And obviously, I've worked in one, so I understand them very mm. well. Um, understanding what the requirements of the collision repairer are. I've worked very closely with the collision repair industry for a long time and built part solutions for big, big, you know, chains. Mm. Um, I've worked obviously in the automotive recycling industry. I certainly understand the pain points there and what certainly what the automotive recyclers are challenged with today, but also what they need to do to improve. You can't hide behind that. Um, and, you know, I think we've got a good a good grasp on technology, you know, as a delivery, as a delivery mechanism, right, for the solution. That's why, you know, I'm doing work with eBay at the minute. Mm-hmm. So can can we add value to the pro I think we can. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly we'd be we'd be out there putting our hand up saying we can help. Uh, it's it's certainly the type of work that I like doing, and this is why I like what I do, because it's it's varied. We've got a number of different things that we do at any point in time. Um, you know, my day is often wearing five or six or seven different hats at different points of the day mm-hmm. or night. In this case, when it comes to the UK, because I have meetings at nighttime with the UK mm-hmm. or early mornings in the US. Um, but certainly, you know, I get to enjoy multiple uh, different things on a daily basis. It's certainly not boring. Brilliant. That's amazing. That is really, really good. 
really, really good. So looking back over your, your career, um, you, know, you know, is there any advice you can give sort of young and aspiring leaders who want to grow and develop, develop their leadership skills in the vehicle recycling industry? Or in other words, what advice would the current Chris give to the 22-year-old Chris? Um, so certainly don't be arrogant enough to think that you know it all. Mm -hmm. right? One of the biggest mistakes that people make in this industry, and I've seen some very, very smart people make this mistake when they want to get into the automotive recycling mm -hmm. business, is that they come from an external environment where they have you know, studied and they may have degrees in X, mm -hmm. Y, or Z, um, and they think they can come in and run an automotive recycling business. Yeah. Um, it is somewhat of a counterintuitive business. Um, again, I'll say it again, we demanufacture, we don't manufacture, right? So you need to be able to think really laterally. Mm. So that's the first thing. Don't come in and think you know better because guess what? You don't. So mm. you need to learn the ropes. So do that. Learn the ropes. Understand it. Do think differently. I would, you know, I would say keep on challenging yourself and think differently. The one thing that I always, you know, I had the... the, the the fortune of being able to go and, and study at university. And I, mm -hmm. I did a very general degree, a Bachelor of Arts degree, you know, I majored in politics and classical studies. So really not an automotive recycling sort mm -hmm. of, you know, runway, right? It's mm -hmm. like, you know, I've come from a different path in that context, but I grew up in an automotive recycling business. But what that helped me do is learn to think differently, yeah. learn to probe, learn to challenge what, even if it was just internally challenging what I was thinking about the business, um, just because it happened a particular way, doesn't mean that's how it has to happen in the future. Mm -hmm. But there's a balance. You need to balance that between trying to change the world and trying to improve, you know, um, and sometimes you need to take a leap of faith and make the call and do what you've got to do. So yes, learn, you know, get involved, mm -hmm run the, you know work in the business understand the different parts of the business get your hands dirty understand what it is to actually be at at the back you know working in the yard whatever the case is um, understand the business very well understand learn from you know education if you mm. can do learn in, you know whether it's college or university or whatever the case may be if you've got that opportunity take it Brilliant. it will not go to waste um and I would also say that, you know, one of the key things that I think I've been fortunate enough to do is be prepared to, to learn how, how to speak, right? Be prepared to, you know, become a leader in the field. Be prepared to get up and speak at conferences. Be prepared to, to go to conferences firstly and learn from your peers network with them you know we talk about networking it all sounds really warm and fuzzy but the reality is uh, going and speaking and understanding and learning from one another is really 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 important and put your own twist it's like an artist you know they may learn a technique they learn how to paint a particular way but then it's their painting they need to draw their paint they need to paint their own painting right um, Picasso had his style Rembrandt had his style you know, they all had their own style, but they all use paint. Mm -hmm. But they've all got their own style. And that's that's the critical bit. The great yeah. painters had a way of doing it differently, mm -hmm. using the same ingredient. 
and I think that's the trick. Yeah, amazing. Uh, so that, that is so. I mean, I'm yeah, I'm I'm writing notes like mad here. I've got probably page and a half of notes already, and uh, and that's one I've just underlined about three times. You know, be prepared to learn how to speak, uh, become a leader or an influencer, you know, and and go to conferences. Uh, you know, such such great advice. That's amazing, amazing. Thank you, Chris, for that. And obviously, you know, as we said earlier, you've you know you you do grow yourself. You keep on learning. Have you read a a, a management or leadership or business book in the last twelve months that you'd recommend to our listeners? And 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 why why are you recommending that book? Uh, one of the things, one of the, I suppose that you've just picked up on a, on a point that I didn't bring up, and that is read. Mm. You know, as if I was going to tell the young Chris what he should do mm. uh, more of early on is read. Mm. Read the management books. You know, again, a lot of people say, ah, oh, you read those management books. Yes, I do. Why? Not because I want to become a better manager, because I pick up little bits and pieces here and there, mm. and I apply them to my scenario. Uh, and as I'm reading those books, I'm nonstop. Sometimes I need to pull myself back because I, I drift into my world. Mm -hmm. But I apply that thinking, that concept to my world. And you'd be surprised how many of these little concepts here and there have shaped the way I think and do things today. Mm. So um, have I? Yeah, I'm reading one at the minute, um, which is really, really good. It's called Range, R-A-N-G-E. Um, and why would I recommend it? I'd recommend it because it teaches you a different way of learning. Okay, so it basically, in 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 short, we've been uh, there's been a lot of work done in the you know in uh, there's been a lot of work done by different academics around and scholars around how you need to do focus training. That is, hit a tennis ball 10,000 times, hit 10,000 forehands, then hit 10,000 backhands and so on. So just focus on that technique at that point in time mm. and do not worry about anything else, uh, which makes sense. Uh, but when you read this book called Range, it, it talks to a different approach, and that is, you know, the Roger Federer approach. Uh, so that's the Tiger Woods approach, which is, mm. you know, hit that golf ball a million times. Roger Federer didn't really get into competitive tennis I, from memory. I think it was around 16. So mm -hmm. very, very late. Um, he played soccer. He played other sports. He was in athletics. And mm -hmm. yeah, he played tennis as well. But he wasn't like, a, you know, the next child prodigy tennis player that doesn't stop hitting that ball. Um, and that ability to play other sports, it's been um, shown and it's been evidenced that uh, being able to do multiple types of activity rather than just focusing on one can actually help you learn better it helps you learn scenarios um, through which to actually um, fix problems right so it's rather than seeing the same problem seeing that forehand come to you exactly the same way through the you know the, the machine that spits the ball out at you it falls the same way a thousand times a day you're just going to hit it back exactly the same mm -hmm. way well in the real game it's going to fall short it's going to fall long you need to apply different tactics to each of those scenarios and that's what it helps you do and i think it's it's a really really good book um takes a little bit getting into at the start but mm -hmm. uh certainly it helps you think differently yeah and if i'm gonna you know suggest one more mm -hmm. uh malcolm gladwell i think it was 
outliers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really good. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Outliers. Um, very, very good, very good writer actually is uh, is Malcolm Gladwell. Um, yeah, brilliant. Uh, there's some really, really good, good advice there, and uh, and some excellent uh, recommendations. Thank you very much for that, Chris. And and one final question, and we ask we ask every guest on the podcast this final question: What was your first car? And do you have any special memories of that car? Yeah, I had a Suzuki Vitara, a little convertible Suzuki Vitara. <laughs> um, and it was the first of the Suzuki Vitaras that came out. When was it was 88. Um, memory was yeah, that really horrible roofs on those, right? These canvas roofs that you had to, it took about 10 minutes to get it down and it took about half an hour to get it up. And Melbourne weather, is mm -hmm. terrible in the context that we have four seasons in one day and usually the season changed in about two minutes yeah so it was a, probably a 40 degree day very hot quite strange for for you guys over there but mm. very very hot driving through the city top down young pea plates yeah. on all that type of stuff yeah. um and then this storm came over literally within five minutes it was bucketing down and here I am on the side of a city street. It's still hot and steamy and, you know, you know, come from 40 degrees. Even if it dropped by 10 degrees, it was very humid. There was, you know, there was, uh, uh, what would you call it, mist coming off yeah. the, the yeah. bitumen. You know, that's yeah. how hot it was. Yeah. And I'm on my way, in fact, to a, a lunch. With, and here I am drenched, drenched <laughs> from the rain, from the sweat, trying to put this damn roof on this car that just wouldn't go on and, that's my that's my memory, I suppose. Uh, it was a funny one because I got caught out. I love it. Absolutely amazing. Uh, it's incredible, incredible. What a lovely, lovely, lovely story to end. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to to talk with us uh, and to outline you know what you're doing at the moment. But some of the uh, the the advice that you've given through this conversation is 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 absolutely amazing. So thank you, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Thank you very much, Chris. That was amazing. Thank you to Chris for his time and his knowledge. You'll find details on how to contact Partnered Solutions in the show notes. Please don't forget to take the time to like and share this podcast with your friends. And please give us a five-star rating. And we'll see you on the next podcast. Thank you. Thank you.